On this episode, I sit down with Kirsten Menegello to talk about career transitions, discovering your calling, and the value of having a coach. You're listening to the Pursuit of Purpose podcast. Wisdom, stories, and advice from successful entrepreneurs and inspirational people. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Pursuit of Purpose. My name is Chris Kiefer, and I am here today with Kirsten Menegello. Kirsten, it's great to have you on the show today. Thanks, Chris. Go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are. Okay. So I'm the owner and founder of Illumination Coaching. And so basically, I'm a leadership coach and team facilitator. So I do one-on-one coaching with leaders, training and development. And then I also facilitate teams regarding improving communication skills, engaging in conflict, uh, holding each other accountable, uh, having effective meeting practices and things like that. So Nice. Okay. So what ultimately, how did you end up in this um this role or career as a coach? So isn't that like the million dollar question? For <laughs> um, I think that sometimes life uh, transpires to push you in a certain way. And I had been in the nonprofit world for many years doing charitable estate planning, which is kind of high end development work with trusts and gift annuities and things like that. And while there were certain aspects about that work that I really enjoyed I didn't feel like I was honoring my calling for being here on the planet. And I wanted to go deeper with my work. And um, so I, I left my position at a nonprofit and hired a coach. And through that process, realized that I had always been coaching people, maybe more mentoring people than coaching them, but had been serving in that role for people as an advisor and someone that they could uh, open up to and share their deepest um, fears and concerns and to solve problems with. And um, so I trained, I went back and uh, went through coach training and got credentialed and been doing it since 2011. So yeah, I was going to say, I was looking at your resume on LinkedIn and you, you have done a substantial amount of um, nonprofit work and you also have and I'm, this might be an ignorant or a naive question, but is there a difference between an attorney and a lawyer? Nope, they're the same thing. Okay, so you are a, a lawyer. You got your law yes. degree and then Im- immediately went into nonprofit work. Is that right? Uh, well, I worked at U.S. Trust Company in trust administration for three years. And then I had the legal and the financial background, and I was tapped to go join a nonprofit in their charitable uh, estate planning department. Okay, interesting. And the other thing that I have to, um, that I want to dive a little bit deeper on, because it's something that I have wrestled with, and I talk with my wife about all the time. But you said you felt like you weren't honoring your calling. Tell me a little more about that. I have a a deep spiritual connection. And I uh, just felt like I was doing something I was good at in plan giving. Um, We all have many skills and gifts. And so I was good at it. I uh, succeeded. I excelled in it, actually. But it it didn't, I wasn't talking about the things I really wanted to talk about. And to me, um, I love to talk to people about the meaning of things and what's really important. And to to talk about those things that we only talk about uh, maybe after we've had a couple glasses of wine. (laughs) (laughs) or we're in a, in a trusted place. And, um, one of the gifts that I recognize that I've always had is that strangers share things with me. So I might just meet someone. I had this happen uh, at the grocery store not too long ago where the, the guy behind the meat counter is just, you know, telling me his whole life story and the line is stacking up behind me. And I just have that presence where people feel like they can be seen and heard and they share things with me. And so that's a gift and sometimes it's a curse, but I think that's the basis of um, that. And that's why it has been with me my whole life. Um, I was a peer counselor in high school and then a, an RA in college. And, and I've served in many counseling, mentoring roles. And um, that's just something that continued to show up for me. Even in my uh, professional work life, people would come to me instead of the HR person to resolve a problem or Kirsten, can you give me some advice about how to handle that? 
um, so it just was a, it was a theme. It just kind of it is a part of who I am. And so I finally had to say, this is, this is at the core of who I am. It's the most basic part of who I am. And to allow that to just be, um, I think sometimes, and I, I tell, um, coaching clients this, sometimes we don't see what our greatest strengths are because they come so naturally to us. We just take them for granted and we make the assumption that everyone else can do that. Mm. But it's, it's not true. And so sometimes you need a coach or someone external to you to help you see your greatness in yourself. And we sometimes self-doubt and we go, well, is that really enough? Is it enough to be a coach? Is that really like a skill that you could make a whole career around? And yet people have done it. And I just had to have the courage to strike out and do it. And luckily I had a really wonderful coach who supported me through that. And, um, it's been a journey, but I, I have absolutely no regret. It is, this is what I am meant to do in this world. Do you, so for someone that is, and I don't know if you can go back to the, you had a transition out of a, the career that you were in. You said you started coaching in 2011. Is that right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, how can you like try and capture your feelings or emotions at that time? Um, and what was most difficult about making a, a leap to coaching? And was there a point where it started like it was no longer scary? Like it was still hard potentially, but there was like a moment of, was it like instant uh, reassurance of you did the right thing? Or tell me a, a little bit about that, that jump, because I feel like that's the part that people get caught up on because they can't, you don't know how it's going to be on the other side until you're actually on the other side. You don't, and it's scary because then you have to like, okay, well, if I'm this, then how am I going to show up in the world? And there's just like all the structure around setting up a business, which that part was easy because I'm an attorney and like I just go to the government forms and websites and boom, boom, boom. You can, anybody can start a business. But, but then it's like, how are you showing up and who's your target client and building a website? And I have to talk about the work that I do, but I'm just learning the work that I do. <laughs> and I, I think what I've found in talking to a lot of coaches is we start in one place and like over time, our, our niche, our coaching niche changes. So for me, I started out kind of life purpose coaching and career transition coaching. Um, and then slowly over time, realized that what I really got excited about is working with leaders and their teams. And that's where my greatness shows up. And I still have a fondness for the, the purpose piece, but I think the purpose is tied to the leaders too. Like what is motivating the leader to what they want to do? So I'm, I'm realizing I'm getting far afield from your question now, but, but you kind of start in one place and then kind of see what's working and what's not working. And you just keep tweaking. And I think any successful entrepreneur does that. You don't just start out of the gate. Most people don't just, you know, hit a home run. They, they start with something, a product or service, and then see what is showing up and um, continue to refine based on that. What feels right internally and then what's being, uh, who's responding to your message too. You're reminding me of a book and I'm, now I'm, I need to double check this, but I'm almost positive the book Good to Great by Jim Collins mm-hmm. talks about um, the, you know, a successful company that we look at today on average has made, and I want to say it's between five to seven pivots. <laughs> um, Interesting. Is yep. that, I don't know if you've heard that before. Um, or I haven't, but I know, it makes I know it's, sense it's, to it's, me. it's a lot more than you would think. I know that. And um, your comment on basically when you start out and shifting markets or jobs or careers, um, I guess it seems like there's an analogy of not only do businesses do that, but people do that as well. Sure. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's kind of a call and response. We put our voices out there. Ah, <laughs> and then who's showing up to respond to that? And is that really what you want to be doing? Is that appealing to you? Um, so it, we could be really inspired by certain kind of work, but if no one's showing up to engage in that work, we're not getting paid for that work. You know, I mean, a business, at some point you have to make money. I mean, I wish I could do this entirely for free, but 
um, I have expenses and things that I have to, to take to cover on my life. So um, it's not a volunteer role as a coach. It is a business. So um, that is a component of it. So the, there's a phrase anytime I hear, um, and I, 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 have, I come from a family of teachers, and I also um, know a, lot of, a number of coaches. I played basketball for a, a long time. But there's a, a phrase that goes around called, or that is, those who can't do teach. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Well, as a coach, I do not like any statements that are blanket pronouncements. <laughs> <laughs> now, certainly there is uh, wisdom in any kind of statement like that we use over and over again, because I think that that can be true for certain people, right? But then not for others. Um and are you kind of referring to the fact as a leadership coach that maybe I'm not equipped as a leader? I'm not, you're not making that judgment, but kind of drawing that parallel. Yeah, I guess I was, I wanted to give you an opportunity to address a, basically an attack on your career or your, what your job is. That if someone's like, um, someone potentially is against and it's the same thing with like I said with teachers or or basketball coaches or anyone that it's like oh you're just you're just coaching because you couldn't do it yourself yeah no I mean that's legitimate um no one's ever come out and said or challenged me that way verbally I mean who knows maybe they thought it but um I I think that's legitimate and I have seen coaches that um there isn't that alignment with who they are with their coaching specialty which I always think is a little odd personally but Um, for myself, I've been tapped for leadership positions my entire life. And that's, again, I think why I feel so strongly about this, because it's not like I just have read books on it. I've actually done it and I'm currently doing it. Um, because I have a very collaborative approach where I engage everyone around the table. I make sure all the voices are heard, but I also drive for results and make sure things get done. So like at every meeting, when I'm leading a committee or a board, it's who's doing what by when, there's accountability, there's follow-up, there are systems, processes. So to just engage the people without having that system and structure in place, you're not ever going to be able to execute. And if Mm. you're just focused on process, you're just, you've skipped over the people and the human piece, right? Mm. You have to create that alignment. You have to execute as well. And because I naturally have done that um, throughout my life, I, again, you know, people feel heard and, and connected um, as a good facilitator that I've been able to, I've been asked to step into leadership roles many, many, many times. And um, that was also something that uh, my coach was the first person that pointed out. We did a life history exercise And she said, it's so fascinating, all of these leadership positions, you've always been asked to do them because people see that you naturally possess those gifts. And it was something I never saw in myself. Um, And it was just like, well, it's so easy. Well, of course you do it that way. Well, you know, look at uh, leaders that uh, lead with the ego. Um, It's not true. Not everyone does lead for the same reasons or has the same style. And I'm not saying my style is right but I have been, and I am in a successful leader. So I can say with confidence, I teach and I coach because I can. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was going to say, just based on what you said, uh, one of the, one of the lines that stuck out to me was I have not just read books. I've actually done it. Have you come across coaches, uh, that are, because I think, I guess my, uh, opinion on that is, uh, you you need to be a practitioner of whatever it is that you are uh, doing. Not and this isn't for coaches, just for anybody. Like if you get caught in the you know data collection stage, whether that's reading books or talking to people, and you're not actually out you know making mistakes or attempting, um, you are not probably going to be as effective. My the analogy I always go back to is. Like I can read a bunch of books on how to shoot free throws. Yes. But if I don't start shooting free throws, <laughs> you know, 400 shots a day or whatever, I'm going to probably not uh, grow as quickly as the person who spent, you know, a year just 
studying and analyzing the best free throw shooters. Not that that person wouldn't have gained something, but there's there's a definitely value in the application of what you're learning. Absolutely. And I, I think that is one of the wonderful things about coaching, in, at least in the leadership space, is that you're working with leaders, you help them to develop a leadership development plan, their goals, and then they go out and do, and they come back to a coaching session and you say, you tried a new skill or a new technique with your direct reports. How did that work? Oh, I crashed and burned. Okay, well, let's talk about that mm. and, and you know, sort it out too. So there is that sense of where I'm going to practice or my client's going to practice and they come back. But certainly as a coach, and, and this is true for coaches in any, whether you're a, um, a health coach or a business coach, whatever you focus on, we're always learning and growing. If we, I mean, that is the essence of any kind of professional development. We have to always be expanding um, our knowledge base and and learning through our experiences with our clients. I mean, it's so, it's so exciting. But I can't imagine a coach being successful that doesn't have that approach, right? Mm. We're always learning from each other. What's the most common misconception that you come across in, in coaching or when someone approaches you and they make an assumption that's incorrect about your role or job? Sure. So I like to really clarify that when I work before I work with clients to make sure that's really what they're seeking. But um, I think a lot of our society is used to thinking about coaching in an athletic setting where you've got someone that's going to show you how to swing a bat or a golf club better or throw a football, <laughs> just things like that, that. That's really more of an advisor or a mentor role where someone is, uh, or even a consultant, where someone's showing you how to do something more efficiently or with greater impact. And as a coach, um, the, the source of power is totally different. So the coach believes that the client has the answer within them. And you are helping them to access that through deep listening, acknowledging, mirroring back what they're saying, and asking powerful questions to help them to open up and find that answer within themselves. I'm not telling them what the answer is. I'm not telling them how to do it, but they're going to establish their own goal and then we help support them and get there. So in the balance of power, the client holds a power in a traditional athletic coaching scenario. The coach really holds a power. Think of like Mr. Miyagi or from Karate Kid, right? Mm. He was the teacher. He was the mentor. Um, but that's not the kind of coaching that, that I do. Mm. Um, okay. Now, certainly there are times as a coach that somebody doesn't know what they don't know and they hit the wall of, okay, I, my next step is this, but I need some models or a tool. So at that point you can gently offer a tool or a way of looking at something, but you always offer it. You're never compelling somebody to adopt an approach or a way of thinking about something. Hmm. They're the clients always in control. Hmm, okay. So do you think that everybody needs a coach? I don't, I don't think that everybody needs a coach. Again, I'll go back to what I said earlier. Just, just blanket pronouncements. <laughs> don't, mm -hmm. I don't agree with having them, but I think there are times when people um, are in certain situations or have their facing issues or scenarios when they need a coach. Um, and because uh, a spouse, a partner, a best friend can't, can, they say they can coach you, but sometimes they want a certain outcome in a situation. Mm, they want you to bias, show up yeah. in a certain way. Right. So, you know, if you wanted to sell everything in your house and sail around the world in for a year, your wife might not be on board with that. <laughs> right. <laughs> So she's not going to support you in a really objective way around helping you figure out whether or not you want to sail around the world because she's going to, she's going to say, no, Chris, that's not rational. I mean, she's got an opinion and she's going to steer you toward that outcome that she wants. And right. so um, that's where a coach is helpful. So then that of, my, I guess the way, cause I, I am, I love what you said about just blanket statements rarely are like helpful or even true for that matter. But is it safe to say that nearly everyone that seeks or how should I phrase this? 
basically anybody that seeks the help of a coach, assuming it's a good coach, is probably going to gain some value out of that. Whether or not need is maybe the word that I don't really agree with. Like, do I, does everyone need a coach? Not really, but would everyone gain something from working with a coach? Yes. Assuming, I would think so. Assuming they're a, a credentialed coach, they've had training in it and they, they hold a certification. So that's something to be aware of because anyone can just call themselves a coach. Like anyone can call themselves a financial advisor, but you want to make sure your coach has had training and they're certified. You have to be open to coaching, right? You have to be seeking out and and kind of being willing to explore different options for what you're seeking. So you've got this issue and sometimes people want to be told what to do. I, it's too much energy for me to figure out on my own. Just tell me what the right answer is. Well, mm. that person doesn't really want a coach, do they? So, um, and that could be due to a lot of factors, but um yeah. So okay. there are times when it's helpful and times when it, it may not be. Right. In, so in your experience of um, working with, you, you mentioned that you're, what, describe your niche again. I guess I should let you clarify or phrase that. What do you feel like your niche is at this moment in um, working with, uh, what, what, what types of people do you work with most often? Yeah. So, um, leaders, so leaders and managers, um, in corporate positions. And I like to work with people that have a growth mindset and that are servant leaders. So their, their intention is to maximize their own growth, be the best leader they can be for their team. Those are the people I, I like to work with. Mm. And on your, I noticed in your bio on LinkedIn, it says, I'm able to help my clients become aware of their own unique strengths and talents. This creates awareness about how they are showing up and how they are perceived by others. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about that. Um, I think that, I think it goes back to that piece we we're talking about earlier where I'm able to just see people in their greatness and their strengths and what makes them unique and who they are. And so I'm able to acknowledge people for that and what they bring to the table. And um, that makes people feel special and seen and heard. And then they are able to bring more of that. Sometimes we hide that. Sometimes we're not aware of that. Um, sometimes we're afraid to share that with people. So it sounds like that basically is you are assisting people with becoming more self-aware. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a way of thinking about it. And what is your, so self-awareness is an interesting um, characteristic or skill for someone to have. Do you feel like you are naturally self-aware? Well, I... <laughs> That's a loaded question. I hope that I am. Oh my goodness. Because, um, yeah, I think I've, I've, I lead a very self-examined life, but can we ever truly be objective about ourselves? Mm. Cause I, the, the reason I asked that question is there's a person um, that I listen to frequently, Gary Vaynerchuk. I don't know if you've heard of him. No. Um, but he's he's definitely he's he has a very unique uh, style. <laughs> he's uh, doesn't mind swearing, um, okay. and he's definitely I would say he's targeting uh, the millennial generation okay. all over social media. But one of the things that he talks about is self awareness is one of the greatest um, like assets that a person can um, have because when you are self aware. You know what you're good at. You know what you're not good at. Yes. And you're able to basically, you know, even I guess I would say um, from hearing everything that you're talking about, it really comes, I guess the, the key thing is defining, well, what is self-awareness? Um, and I would say self-awareness is basically um, the, the more you are able to objectively, like you're saying, can you ever be 100% objective? Maybe not. But the closer you can get to that point or that state of self-awareness and realizing, you know what, I'm actually not that good of a organizer. Yes. Or I'm not, you know, a, the best speaker. So 
like you're able to then make the next logical steps then going as opposed to going through life you know just kind of lollygagging through and just being super optimistic and happy right in a in a role that you're potentially horrible at and that's why you're not succeeding yes and just clueless right so ways that we can become more self-aware are to ask regularly for feedback from people we know and trust that we feel like are going to give us a real skinny on how we're showing up in the world. And if you're a leader, you can ask directly for feedback from your direct reports and your peers and other senior leaders in your organization. You can take assessments. That's always a good safe place for people to take a a Myers-Briggs or um, a Hogan, a DISC, um, anything that kind of helps people see and learn more about their own style in terms of leadership, communication, their strengths, strengths finders is fabulous. Um, you know, EQI, emotional intelligence. Um, and you could do a 360 report, which is more formalized feedback in a, in a kind of a corporate setting too. But people are sharing with you, okay, this is how you're showing up. And once we can see that and really accept that, um, then maybe those areas we're not as strong in, well, how can we either increase our competency in those areas or do we need to surround ourselves with people that are good at that? Mm. So that's, yeah, that's a question right there that I feel. So I am a huge, uh, I, I'm a big optimist. I'm definitely growth minded in most areas of my life, mm-hmm. but at what point, like, what are the, at what's, what advice do you have on how to identify when you should stop trying to be better at something that you're just naturally not good at and outsource it? Versus like, nope, you need to keep working on this and get a coach, you know, read books, go to trainings, you know, join Toastmasters, all the, whatever the things are that you're trying to do. I've heard a lot of successful people say, um, basically just focus on what you're good at and triple down on that and don't try to do the self-help stuff. Mm. But how do you know which, what, like what direction to go in for a particular area of your life? Right. Well, I I hear what you're saying. It's a continuum, right? Like just double down on your strengths and ignore all the weaknesses, pretend they're not there, la la la. Um, Or the other extreme is I've seen some people that like try to fix everything. I'm going to get perfect in all these areas. Well, I don't think that's realistic either, right? None of us are going to be perfect at all those things. So I think about, well, what impact does that have by not being good at something in particular? So let's say you're more of a, a visionary person and you're less of an executor spreadsheet kind of gal, right? And so can you have someone on your team or can you hire, if you're an entrepreneur, can you hire uh, an external consultant to be tracking those, that kind of minutia that you don't want to be tracking? Um, is it how critical it is to your business or your team in your role? If it's important and it needs to be dealt with, then is there someone in your world that can handle that piece so it's not falling by the wayside? But we can't ignore something if it's critical to our mission. So I would think about the impact of your lack of skill in that area and what that's really costing you. And if I can dive deeper into that one, it sounds like, and maybe I'm projecting, but First, identify how critical is this to your overall success of what you're trying to accomplish. Yes. And then the very next thing would be, is this something that is outsourceable? If that's <laughs> if that's a word, can I outsource this, or do I? It's kind of doing a cost benefit analysis on, is this a a role or a position that needs to be hired, or do I just need to figure out how to be more empathetic? Right. As so an it, example. Yeah. So it's it's hard to hire out the empathy. can't can't have someone just come along with you that's a new one like this is this is my empathy consultant (laughs) um right so i think it does depend on if it's a hard skill or a soft skill so you yes i completely agree with how you outline that um those two questions and i think it does depend on if it's a hard skill or soft skill Um, i think all leaders need to be good listeners just period and so some for some people, you and me, that comes pretty easily. Not that we don't sometimes work at it and have to be intentional about it. But for some people, it's, it's really challenging. So that might be something that can't pass on 
they need to be a little bit more intentional about making sure that that's something they're they're doing. And you can do that with a coach. You can create some structure around what that would look like and be creative about ways that they can be checking in with themselves to making sh- to make sure that they're listening um, to their team more frequently. Mm. So there's the this is making me think of a phrase that I um, I've heard it a number of places. I don't know who originally came up with this, but you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Oh wow, that's awesome. Have you heard that before? I haven't heard that phrase, but I strongly believe that who you surround yourself is what you'll become. Hmm. So that's what I was going to, my question on that was, um, and I, the book that I was reading, I want to say that it was some, it had, it was a very like, uh, superficial title. I think mm-hmm. it was called six months to six figures. Um, very monetarily driven, Yes. but there was a lot of, uh, value in it. And I, I'm fairly certain that's where I heard that, but he says in the book, if you just analyze your life and you look at the five people that you spend the most time with, just physically, it could be, you know, your best friends, it could be your siblings, maybe your parents. And it's like people that you talk to the most frequently. If you do that, you'll typically find you make about the same amount of money. You live in about the same style of house. You have about the same number of kids. You're in, you know, um, you believe about the same things, like all the stuff that you are around is what you become, like you just said. So one thing that I am curious on from a coaching perspective, um, do you ever or have you ever suggested or been able to help someone identify that the biggest thing holding them back is the people that they are around? I wouldn't say that like as a theme, that's the case. Like people might make a decision that um, a particular relationship isn't supporting them or might be a little toxic, but um, it's, I wouldn't say as a blank, no, I wouldn't think that that's one thing that across the board they've said, wow, (laughs) my friends and family are not up to par, you know? Yeah. I, cause one of the things that the, best analogy that I've thought of for basically that uh, trying to apply this to your life is let's say I want to complete an Ironman mm-hmm. and I'm, I don't for anyone that doesn't know what that is. It's the 112 mile bike ride, um, a 2.4 mile swim, and then a full marathon. So it's, you know, a, uh, you know, it takes you 12 to 16 hours to complete one of these. But let's say I, I want, it's a goal of mine to do that, mm-hmm. which actually is at some point in my life, um, I would I, I would like to do that. And whenever I actually get serious and say, this is a goal for, you know, 2025 and then start working out, I always think of the scenario of Chris A and Chris B. And if Chris A is working out with, you know, just a bunch of high school buddies that have zero experience in doing Ironmans mm-hmm. and crispy is working out with a group of Ironman athletes that have completed five Ironmans, which Chris is going to be more likely to actually accomplish the goal. Yes. And I think that in business or life or whatever, it's, it's like so black and white in that scenario. And sure. how is it any different in if my goal is to be, um, I don't know if it's an executive of a tech company or um, I want to, you know, start a nonprofit or I want to be a photographer or I want to start a um, gym, you know, whatever the, whatever the thing is that you want to do. If you find other people that are doing that, you're probably going to get there a little bit faster and it, it might not be as difficult uh, than just kind of, trying to go about it on your own. Absolutely. No, I I agree with that. But I think that's presuming you've stated a goal. I don't think a lot of, well, in my experience, people talk in generalities about things they're going to do versus Mm. being super intentional about, and I'm not talking about news resolutions, just saying like, I want to achieve, I'm going to um, complete an Ironman by 2020. So if I've got three years to do it, this is my end goal. What am I going to have to do in the beginning of 2020 throughout 2019 and 2018 to get there, right? Because it's a huge undertaking. 
I don't think most people approach their lives that way. And good or bad, I mean, it's not a judgment. I just don't see a tremendous amount of that. So I think when people want to get serious about reaching, defining a goal and, and then making a plan to reach that goal, working with a coach in that area um, can be incredibly helpful. I think a lot of people just kind of go day in and day out with their lives and kind of take what shows shows up in many ways versus mm, reaching for so. reaching for what they're fully capable of. I wish it were different. I'm not, I'm not saying all people are one way or another. Again, I going back to blanket pronouncements, but mm-hmm. um, I think many people choose to accept what is instead of reaching for what could be or even identifying what they themselves want. Mm. I don't mean to be a negative person, but I, I'm I don't think that's positive. negative at all. I think that's, I, that's like, I think that's just straight up truth. Like the number of people that are kind of just like, eh, I mean, it's, a, it's okay. You know, things are good instead of like things are great or if things are not good. And that's, I guess that's the other thing is that you're in the most danger when you're average, you know, like if you're in a terrible situation you're, it's a lot easier to be like, I need to do something about this. But when you're kind of like, yeah, life's good. Like that's when you're at the biggest risk, I think of potentially not, uh, making the leap to what it is that you need to be doing. Um, because it's, you're comfortable, you know? Right. And, but we can be comfortable and be in a place of gratitude and that's okay. Mm. Mm. Right. You, so yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. Do you, the one thing that you said with, a lot of people just, or if someone wants to get serious about a particular thing and define a goal, then a coach could really be valuable. Mm-hmm. Is that like step one when you're working with someone is you have to know what, like, what am I, what am I trying to help you with? Well, they have to have a sense of something like maybe, maybe it's a sense of vague, like, ah, like, I, like I've been doing the same thing for the last 10 years and I want something different, but I don't even know where to start. And to begin that conversation of maybe it's just establishing some life goals or career goals, or maybe I've lost touch with my hobbies and I want a new creative pursuit, but I don't even know where to begin. They have to have some sense of there's some unease or dissatisfaction to even have that conversation. So that comes back to your point of self-awareness. You know, um, some people do numb themselves with the routine of work and, life and TV and whatever, and don't really ask those questions. But for people that do and want to go to a different place with that, then a coach can help them clarify or even identify what they don't know or what questions they have or to ask. And that they, yeah. What people or things have been influential in kind of shaping your perspective? Um, my perspective on life or? Um, yeah, I guess I, it sounds like what you kind of have a blending of life and work. I do. So just kind of your, <laughs> yeah, what direct, depending on which side you want to address it, I feel like it's probably very applicable to both. Yes. No, that's true. Um, I think for me, my, my role models have always been servant leaders. And so I start, I'm Catholic, so I start with Jesus um, Dr. Martin Luther King, and I was lucky enough to be born on his same birthday. And so he's always had a very special place in my heart. And I wrote my acceptance, uh, essay to law school all about him and his, (laughs) his famous speech, um, Gandhi and, um, a, a current leadership author and speaker who I think very highly of, and I use his work, who is also has a servant leader approach is Patrick Lencioni. Who oh, yeah. you? I, I'm sure I knew you'd be familiar with him, but he's written. He started with Five Dysfunctions of a Team, um, but he's written so many wonderful books, and um, it's all based on that same kind of servant leader principle. He doesn't call it that per se, but that's kind of the what it's based in. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, I really believe that uh, to be leaders, we have to be servants first, and to understand and make that connection. Um, it's all, it's all related. So that's, those are the, the beliefs that are the underpinning of my approach. So I know, um, someone that is 
uh, in a job that is, and I'm, I guess I'm wondering where a coach would fit into this, but there's someone that is in a job that is, you know, mediocre for them. They enjoy the people that they're working with. They feel like they're maybe not in their true calling, mm-hmm. but they are, um, they want to do something different, but there's that fear of, you know, how do I know it's going to work out? And I might be leaving something that's good. And like, you know, I, I want this other, I, I kind of am intrigued by this other path or opportunity, but I, um, you know, it's just, it goes back to, in my opinion, what you said about you, the transition that you made, how, what like advice or tips, or is there anything like tools that someone can do in trying to determine when and if they should make a jump into a career and into a different career? Sure. Well, I think it's defining what they want, what they're seeking and what's going to, what they believe make them happy and defining all the criteria related to it. Things that are about values, the kind of culture they want to work in, um, the kind of compensation they want to receive, the types of people they want to work with, the tasks they want to do. Are they, are they uh, wanting to be in an environment where things are, it's really creative and new, if high, fast paced, like a startup, or do they want to work in a more slow paced, structured uh, environment like government? Um, so there's so many factors to think of. And, and when I've worked with people in the past around career transition, I help the clients to create a filter. It's, you know, thinking. Like imagine you had a strainer and you put it in the sink, right? And you put a whole bunch of stuff in there and then only some stuff was at the bottom of the colander once you rinse, rinse it all out. So like, what is your filter? What are your must haves? Like absolutely are non-negotiable for you. And um, that's important. And one way to start thinking about identifying those criteria are to think about what's making you unhappy currently. So what's not working for you now? Because it's probably not that everything's not working for you, maybe just certain aspects of your current role. And so figuring out and getting clear about what those are. And then the other piece is if you currently have a job, stay with that as long as you can. And I think of it like a, like a runway. You've just got this solid foundation. And when you've figured out what's next, you can take off. It's a lot harder to find mm-hmm. a job when you don't have one. So if you quit out of frustration, <laughs> you know, versus while you're doing your informational interviews and searching around and having these conversations and networking, you could stick around your job for six months and be, you know, you know, slightly unhappy, but figure out what your next is. And then, and then kind of jettison and let go of that position when you have found that next role. The other piece that's important is the informational interview process. And I won't belabor you with it, but I've given, uh, multiple hour talks on informational interviewing and real the, really the nuts and bolts of it and the power of informational interviewing. And that's a good way to get gather some data around potential new roles that you're interested in once you've created your filter to figure out, is this really going to meet my needs? I think it is. My assumption it is. But as you gather information through talking to people that are in, in that industry or company or role, you can start matching up what is reality versus what is your perception. Mm. So there's, um, I, I can't remember which Batman, one of the Batman movies. I don't know if you've seen, I want to say it's Batman. It might be the dark Knight. Um, I okay. think, um, but there's a scene in it that I always, um, and I just love analogies and there's, he, Batman is in a pit and he um, needs to get out. But in order to get out of the pit, he has to go and jump on these ledges and there's a ledge that's a pretty substantial distance. So you have to jump to that. Mm -hmm. And he attempts to do this multiple times, but he has, and it's, you know, he's, you know, 60 feet off the ground or 80 feet off the ground at this point. So it's pretty dangerous. And he has a rope attached to him to prevent him from dying if he were to fall. And um, he attempts and the rope catches him. He attempts again and, you know, a couple days later and the rope catches him again. And then he, he realizes that when he, when he is determined and made up his mind that he has to get out of this, this like jail pit that he's in, he takes the rope off and he goes to jump and he, he, he quote jumps without the rope and he makes yeah. it. 
because he doesn't have that safety net or the blanket, mm. um, the, the thing to assist if he fails. So it's sort of the idea of when failure is not an option, suddenly we start impressing ourselves yes. and others. Have you, so I agree with what you're saying on keep the job that you can as long as you can, but at some point, don't we have to jump without the rope? Oh, um, I totally. You know, and, and I completely agree. Commitment is key to to achieving anything in life. We have to be clearly focused on what we want, but we, I don't think it's foolhardy to jump before we know what we're jumping into. And what I have mm. seen people do is jump to something else because they haven't really clearly ascertained what they wanted. And they move to something that looks better. Like, Oh, I got a job at Nike and they get there and they're like, wait, I don't really want to work at a big company. And wait, I have to commute from Gresham to Beaverton now. That doesn't make sense for me but they didn't clearly define it. So I think it is important to take time to get clear on your criteria, to make those networking connections and to uh, test your assumptions. But then we, mm, you I committed, think, then you commit, just like Batman. I agree with you there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's actually, I'm glad that we clarified that because I think that's brilliant that it's, you do want to jump without the rope, but you better know and have defined where are you going? And so there's two things. You don't just want to be jumping haphazardly and you also don't want to be jumping away from something. You want to be jumping towards yes, something. Yes. And, and that's when you jump without the Exactly. Rope. And that's what Batman did in your example. He knew exactly right, right. which ledge he was jumping for or aiming for. Mm. And he had right. all 100% of his focus on that. And that's why he was successful. And also that's he's awesome. Batman. Okay. <laughs> exactly. We all we all have Batman inside of us. At least I think. I, I think so. Yeah, totally. Um, okay. So, what has surprised you the most in in your entire career? And you can say, if you would prefer, you could focus just on, you know, the your coaching um, portion, or in your life in general. And so, this is a very broad question. But what has surprised you the most since? starting your journey and I'll let you define when starting is. I think just trusting in myself and I encourage clients to do that, but I have to continually push aside that self doubt, you know, and just come back to, and I have like a fantastic coaching session and I see all these breakthroughs for the client or like earlier this week had a wonderful team facilitation. And it's like, that's right. I'm so good at this. And just trusting because sometimes I get nervous before presentations or something. There's still that self-doubt. And I don't know that that ever goes away. But when I do trust and go, wait, this is, this is really, I'm living in my truth. I'm living in my gifts and I'm doing what I'm here to do. Um, that, that, that fades away. Right, right. Okay. And then what, so as of right now, um, we talked a little bit about goals. Um, and whatnot. What does success look like to you personally? And do you have career goals? Or um, I guess, honestly, I, what I'm really curious about is there, do you have things that you have identified or written down that maybe you don't often share with people um, as like things that you really want to achieve in, um, in your career? Well, funny you should ask. Actually, I worked with another coach at the end of the year to create a strategic plan me for my business and her for her business. And we supported each other in that. Um, and one of my goals for this year is to bring a model of leadership and to communicate that to people. I feel like a lot of um, leadership models are based in leadership styles or leadership competencies. And mine's a little bit different. I feel like it's a little bit more three or four dimensional. And um, so I'm in the process of coalescing it and, uh, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how it's going to show up yet um, in terms of sharing it. Um, but I would like to be um, sharing it kind of far and wide and to eventually be in, you know, Harvard Business Review and maybe speak on it nationally and things like that too. Not again to, from a look at me standpoint, but to be able to share there's a different way. And I feel like our society as a whole um, is needing that right now. And to kind of go from the old traditional command and control approach of leadership to really a more inclusive one that will help everyone. So that's that's my goal, and I'll, I'll share more with you <laughs> in the future. So, 
Do you have, so I have to go, just the way that you phrase that, is that what I'm curious about, and this is, in my opinion, it is not cocky or arrogant at all, but do you have, like you mentioned, I might want to speak on it nationally, and you very gently threw that out there. Um, I, I'm curious, like, do you have any, like, big, crazy things that would that are, like, that would be awesome. And there's no reason and there's not really a justification behind why you want it or need it. And um, you're just like, I would love to speak in front of an audience of 50,000 or I would love to have a New York Times bestseller or the Harvard Business Review. What I guess what I'm curious is I feel like we all have it's sort of like the the people when we're kids, we say, I want to be an yeah. astronaut. But then at a certain point, we start dampening what our goals are or what we're willing to share with others because we're worried that it might come across the wrong way. I think you just, call, I think you you know just called me about? on it, Chris. <laughs> and it's so funny because like, I help people do this every day, all day. And yet it's hard for me to claim that for myself, right? Because I'm afraid it's going to come across as like, oh, well, who does she think she is? But um, no, I really, I feel really strongly about a, a new approach to leadership and I feel like it will be empowering for the world. And so to share it far and wide, and again, I'm not exactly sure of what the, how that'll show up, but as I clarify what that is and then to have the courage to speak to it and put it out there and then see what develops. But I would like to speak in front of large audiences and, and to be able to share that with others so they, they can implement that, I think, for the greater good. Hmm. And I, then the last thing that I have to dive, I just have to prod, prod a little okay. bit more at. Do you think that, because I talk about this type of stuff with my wife all the time. Um, I don't know if you've read any of Sheryl Sandberg's I haven't books. read them, but I'm familiar with um, the lean-in concept. and yeah. Right. I guess I just feel like, um, and this this could this is not intended to be sexist. It's just an observation. Natalie, this is one thing. Natalie was uh, my wife was negotiating um, her job contract recently, and one of the things that is discussed in Lean In is that women have a tendency to be more um, reserved and or just cautious about being perceived as arrogant yes. or cocky. Not only that, but there was a number of uh, experiments that were done with like resumes where they would put, um, you know, it's the exact same information mm -hmm. on two resumes and one says Johanna and the other one says John. And the, across the board, what ended up happening on these review committees that didn't know that these were the same mm -hmm. things is that people would describe the female as bitchy, um, <laughs> yeah. overpowering, overbearing. Whereas the guy was like, that's a strong yep. leader. That's the guy we need. And they literally are the exact wow. same thing. So my question for you is that, and again, maybe this is, I don't think this is too aggressive, but I just feel like you, you hinted subtly, <laughs> but you were very <laughs> cautious about not wanting to say, not just demand it. Like I want to be in the Harvard yes. business journal. I am mm -hmm. going to do that. And it, do you feel like you have a, now that I've mentioned this and pointed this out, do you feel like you are worried that if you were to come out and say that, that people would be like, who does Kirsten think she is? Like, how dare she just like, who, what gives her the right to be in the Harvard Business Review? You know, I don't think somebody would say that, but I think it's the self-doubt piece. And I, uh, I think you really brought a good point home to me around just being timid versus claiming it, truly. And again, it's easy for me to see in others, but not always so easy to see in myself. And um, maybe that's something I need to work on in terms of the self-awareness and just being able to claim and say, this is what I want, and to be really clear about what that looks like so I can create it. So thank you for that. That was a gift to me today. <laughs> yeah, I guess I, I think about that type of stuff all the time because... Um, I guess from my perspective, whether you're female or male, um, you are going to have haters and you are going to have people that try to um, rain on your parade, so to speak. 
Um, but generally it's the people that do that are coming from a place of hurt themselves. Um, when they say, oh, she's just arrogant or she's cocky or whatever, it's probably, if you go dive into, why did you say that deep down, there's like, they were, you know, bummed that they didn't, uh, speak up themselves and claim what they want. I agree with you. I guess that to me is, to me, I'm, uh, trying to do a better job myself, but also I just feel like I come across a lot of people that, um, I love asking and talking about that stuff because I don't, it's very hard to find someone who is successful that did not start talking about their success or like defining it and, you know, publicly or at least um, openly and, you know, prior to actually achieving it. Normally we don't just like, you know, keep wandering through life and then all of a sudden it's like, wow, I'm a really famous speaker. That was cool. (laughs) It was always like, I am going to do this and watch, like, watch me go, you know, and there's people who are like, you're never going to do it. You're never going to achieve it. But the reality is, um, you have to be, yeah, you have to be comfortable basically just being bold and saying, this is where I'm going and you can either, you know, support me or, or not, but I don't, it's who I No, I completely agree with you. And it's, it's bringing up some things for me that there are parts of this that I am clear on that I can speak to and there are parts that aren't. And so I need to get clear on what parts are not clear, (laughs) ironically, Mm. and be able to speak to that so I can claim it and I can commit to it just like Batman. And just like you're challenging me to do right now, (laughs) Chris, this is awesome. This is awesome. And actually what happens in coaching is we create that awareness for the other person. It's like, we are saying this, but I'm really hearing that. So which is it? And we, mm. we right. in a supportive way, challenge the other person to, you know, commit. Do you really want that or you just think That's you awesome. want it? Tell me more about that, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. you coached me right there. So good job. Perfect. There we go. <laughs> so you're, you you got something for the time that you're giving oh, to We learn from each other, Chris. Um, yeah. So last... That's right. The very last question I have is um, books, movies, podcasts. Um, I always just like to get recommendations on um, stuff you're reading, and in particular, it could it's up to you on whether this is recent or all time favorite. But if you had, you know, your top three recommendations of whichever medium you consume the most often, what would what would it be? And it doesn't have to be. It could be fun and just like enjoyable, like a favorite movie. Um, or it could be something more, you know, um, yeah. well, you. I think a book that I'm rereading right now that I absolutely love is the Tao of leadership. Um, and it's just, you know, the Tao Te Ching with a leadership spin on it, which is beautiful and challenging and, uh, enriching. Um, in terms of movies, um, I, the movies that I like the most have really quirky characters in them. And I realize that I like them so much because the movies are about finding the value in others. So kind of like what I do in my coaching. Um, so like movies like Rushmore, um, Napoleon Dynamite. I love that one, you know, especially where he's dancing on the stage. It's so beautiful. You know, when he just puts himself out there like that, it's oh, so engaging and you kind of want to go, you're dancing like a dork and yet he's so confident and he's so just himself in that moment. It's beautiful, right? Um, Lost in Translation and recently Lady Bird, um, just fabulous movies, but it's kind of about embracing our, our weird quirky selves and um, having others see the value in that. And so those are, those are my favorite movies. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and then lastly, if someone wants to get in touch with you, how would you recommend? Well, I think the best thing is just go to my website, illuminationcoaching.com. And it's got my contact info there. I'm also on LinkedIn and I link to pretty much anybody on LinkedIn because I like to, to do that. Um, it's kind of fun to meet other people from all over the world that way that are also interested in leadership. So yeah, I think that's awesome. Okay. Illuminationcoaching.com. And again, your name is Kirsten Minigello. And Menegello is M-E-N-E-G-H-E-L-L-O. 
Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kirsten, for joining. Thank you me today. for asking me. And uh, really thank appreciate you. It's your been time. a real honor and it's been fun to chat with you too and reconnect. All right. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Pursuit of Purpose. As always, you can check out the show notes in the description on the podcast or visit my website, chriskiefer.net, to find any other relevant links or information that was discussed on the show. We'll see you next time. You're listening to the Pursuit of Purpose podcast. Wisdom, stories, and advice from successful entrepreneurs and inspirational people.